Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 14th. From healthcare reform to the grounding of alleged Chinese spy balloons over Canadian and U.S. airspace, we get the latest from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Earlier this week, former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi appeared before a Senate committee on human rights to voice his concerns around Quebec's controversial Bill C-21. We catch up with Mr. Nenji to hear his perspective and what motivated him to get involved. And finally, we speak with a Calgary man who has traveled to Turkey to try and locate members of his family missing in the aftermath of last week's deadly earthquake. We hear the heart-wrenching story of Mohammed Ajmal Niksad. Last week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government promised to increase the funding provinces get for health funding. But does it go far enough? Joining us to talk about the latest news out of the capital is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Uh, you mean Singles Awareness Day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't matter, single or not, you're our Valentine, and we appreciate you being oh, here with us. Oh, thank you. You have warmed my cold little heart. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's talk about, uh, first of all, we'll, we'll deal with the spy balloons in a moment, but let's talk about health care. It sounds like the premiers have agreed to what was offered up by the feds. What's the latest on that? Yeah, that's exactly what we're hearing, Sue, and um, not really... It was, it was absolutely not even close to what um, the premiers wanted, but it's been made pretty clear that um, this is a take it or leave it kind of deal from the Canadian government. And a lot of these provinces really need or want the money. Um, and so they're figuring some is better than none and going to take it. There will, of course, be um, individual side deals cut with each province. Um, which sort of serves two purposes for the federal government. Well, one part is it's a little bit easier to kind of divide and conquer. They used the same strategy with childcare, and it was very effective uh, on a political side. But there's also a practical side to that, which is that different provinces have different needs. And so that allows um, there to be independent negotiations between each province and the federal government. Um, before every blew up on the weekend with the balloons. I asked Dominic LeBlanc about this. He is uh, the intergovernmental affairs minister, of course, uh, for the Trudeau government, which means he's responsible for figuring things out with all the provinces. And I'd asked him if there might be some wiggle room on money with these provinces. Um, It sounded like a pretty hard no to me on that. Um, But there also won't be extraordinary strings attached either on the other end. There will be some, but um, it, it, it seems pretty flexible at this point. Of course, we'll have to see how those individual agreements with the provinces shake out. Yeah, we have not heard the end of this and we will uh, see, as you mentioned, moving ahead Mercedes. Uh, switching gears, but still on the Trudeau government and on this Valentine's Day, I'll give you the analogy, every relationship takes some give and take and, and compromise. When it comes to the relationship between the Liberal government and the uh, federal NDP, are Liberals following through with their promises or, and could the NDP pull their support? Because there's been rumblings over the past handful of days here that maybe some NDPers are unhappy. Um, I can tell you for sure some NDPers are unhappy and there's a bit of a battle. I don't know if I want to go as far as to call it a battle, but there's a bit of a tug of war inside the NDP right now. Um, some think that, you know, based on health care, based on long-term care, based on a bunch of other things that the federal liberals said they were going to do and, and haven't followed through uh, on in the way that they said they were going to do it, um, that they should pull their support. Others say um, it would be really tough to go to an election right now. Pierre Polyev might be in a relatively good position. They're not sure how he would run against Justin Trudeau. Um, one thing is certain, and that's that the NDP would not win the election. 
right now a lot of the NDP insiders feel that they have more influence than they might if there's another election and Trudeau either gets a bigger minority uh, or he or Mr. Polyev get a majority. So there's, there's a bit of um, frustration inside the party from folks who feel that that um, maybe some aren't being realistic about the possibility of, of being able to go to an election and others feel um, uh, frustrated that they've tied their hands. Uh, now, they, of course, are getting dental care. That's a big one. I think the big test here is going to be what's in the federal budget, right? Um, mm-hmm. Does that measure up to some of the promises that the NDP has mandated? But at this point, they've been sort of willing to let things slide. They come out and, and they publicly criticize it, um, but they don't view it as willing to go to an election over. And the other thing they frankly have to read, uh, all the parties have to read, because Mr. Trudeau call an election at any time if he wanted to as well, um, is what's the public mood? Is the public in the mood for an election? Because if you go to an election at a time when the public mood for it isn't great, um, your party could be the one that pays the price. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk uh, from healthcare to the thing really even more so than healthcare that Canadians seem to be talking about over the past couple of weeks. We chatted with you about it last Tuesday when we talked and the story has just ballooned from there. Let's talk about uh, more alleged Chinese spy balloons making headlines over Canada, over the United States. What are you hearing from Ottawa and, and Trudeau? His, his latest words were there seemed to be a pattern here. Well, obviously, right? Yeah, although it was very funny to me... Um watching the federal government's briefing on this last night at about 4.30, where you initially had to see your, like, RCMP and military officials trying to say, well, I don't know if there's a pattern. I mean, there's a pretty clear pattern that the Prime Minister identified, um, which is not to say that that all links back to one country or anything or what's on them, but um, there's a pattern of, at least we know, objects that are relatively large, the smaller ones are the size of a small car, floating around in airspace that they are not supposed to be in without a clear owner because they tried to figure out who these belong to before they shot them down to see if they could get an explanation. They couldn't. Um, I have heard them referred to as balloons by all of my sources. They don't call them objects when I talk to them. Uh, But of course, until they're able to verify that, they won't say that officially. We do know there was some kind of a payload hanging off the one that was shot down over Yukon, and we know that that one's also going to be very difficult to find. Um, They're saying like weeks to months potentially to be able to find that because it was shot down over a remote area with very rugged terrain and very deep snow. And when you shoot something that big out of the sky, um, you're talking about potentially a significant debris area um, and and trying to even get into that debris area. So they said yesterday there's a possibility they'll never recover it. Um, But they are up there actively trying. And of course, the other one is in Lake Huron, uh, and that one was actually in Canadian airspace, we found out yesterday. And that fits with what we reported at Global News on Saturday that I was hearing from sources. There was potentially two balloons in Canadian airspace being actively monitored. Um, and they were basically shot down back to back, except for that one had gone into American airspace by then. But it was so close to Canada um, that it seems it fell into the Canadian side of the lake. Again, another really tough one to recover. It's at the bottom of the lake and it's February. Um, so they obviously want to get this out as quickly as possible so they can analyze it and see what is it, what was it doing, who does it belong to. They'll have a little bit of intel on it right now, Sue. Um, I know the pilots did a visual confirmation when they went by. There's likely photographs and videos off the jets on this. Uh, it's not clear why they've not released those publicly. Maybe they don't want whoever is putting these, and it may or may not be the same entity, into the air to know exactly what they know or which ones they've shot down. But there's still uh, certainly a lot of questions other than we know it's it's pretty weird times in the skies. Yeah, to that point, in, in, in what you're uh, talking around there, Mercedes, as far as, you know, they, they, they don't want to let people know or let those folks who perhaps launched these unidentified flying objects, is there a chance uh, due to protocols that we'll never know what the payload or what the tech or, you know, interior of these balloons contained? 
Now, I, I doubt we'll ever know a lot of detail. We might know things like, um, was it communicating? Or who did it belong to? Uh, and, and one of the things that they will have done, because they left these balloons up for um, around 24, if not more hours from when they detected them. And, and part of that is making sure you can shoot them down over an area um, where it's not going to harm anyone. And part of it is trying to see what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Do uh, communication intercepts. Is it communicating back and forth? Is it transmitting something? Is that transmit on some kind of a schedule? That kind of information can help them figure out who it might be, uh, if it's communicating with a satellite or another balloon that's passing it all. And all that information helps them to form a picture. I doubt we would know about any of this if some guy in the U.S. hadn't looked up to the sky and said, literally, that's not the moon. Um, <laughs> so that's why this has all kind of come out. Um, I've been told by sources that this has been going on for a while. It's not the first time, and the Pentagon and NORAD have confirmed that as well. Um, kind of like when we broke the story on the Chinese uh, pilots who were zooming right by the Canadians mm-hmm. and flipping them off, it had happened like 60 times before I heard about it. So it gives you a sense of all the things that are constantly going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about. And then it ends up somehow in the media, either someone leaks something to me or you know someone sees something that doesn't make sense. And now suddenly the government is in the awkward situation of having to deal with what they normally deal with uh, in a highly classified manner, very much in the public realm. And you could see the gear change, right? They're now shooting these down. So um, there, there is likely potentially a political component to that as well as a safety component, especially with the one you're talking about, 40,000 feet. Uh, that's pretty close to commercial air traffic. Well, thank you for always breaking these stories, bringing us the details that we want to know about. Love chatting with you and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Thanks. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Quebec's controversial Bill C-21 is back in the headlines. The bill prohibits federal employees from wearing religious symbols while at work and is the subject of numerous legal challenges. Yesterday, former Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi appeared before a Senate Committee on Human Rights to voice his concerns about it. Mr. Nenshi joins us now to talk about it. Good morning to you and welcome to QR Calgary Now on FM. Uh, This is very exciting. It, it feels very different talking to you. No, no, it doesn't. But hopefully we sound much better. We certainly do. That is a definite for sure. Hey, you, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. It's an important one that we talk about as Canadians as a whole, I feel like. And, you know, we know the basics of this Bill C-21. Why did you feel it was important to kind of step in and, and have your voice heard? Well, you know, the conversation that we were having yesterday was about Islamophobia broadly read. Um, and there are big challenges, not just with Islamophobia, but with religious bigotry uh, and hatred, anti-Semitism of all kinds. Uh, specifically, Islamophobic hate crimes were up 71%. That's police-reported hate crimes in 2021. But what I have found is that it has been difficult for kind of our political class, um, particularly in the federal government, to really draw a line between these hate crimes, you know, petty harassment that we're seeing, for example, of Muslim women who choose to wear a headscarf or a hijab, and the kinds of policies that are on the face of it inherently discriminatory. And we will have seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, I was very vexed that the federal government appointed a special representative on Islamophobia and then fundamentally threw her to the wolves. and let her get lectured and harassed and browbeaten uh, by politicians who are using her to score political points. You know, God forbid that we appoint someone to fight Islamophobia who actually in the past has had said, had said things against Islamophobia. 
Um, and so I really wanted to just make the point that you can't play both ends of this. You can't use Muslim people as a political football uh, when it's convenient. Either you are going to be opposed to this stuff or you're not. And this uh, law in Quebec is, I believe, the only law in the Western Hemisphere that actually says there are certain jobs that you cannot do solely because of your faith. So you might be the best school teacher, but you can't work in the public system. You might be the best lawyer, but you can't be a judge. And I can't see how you can read that in any way other than being discriminatory. Let's uh, let's move to the next question, uh, Mr. Nancy, because this is interesting to me. And, and it, it's staggering when I read this. And uh, this is the case, though, uh, as the first person of Muslim faith elected as a mayor in North America. That it, It's incredible when I read that now, because it seems like you, you've kind of opened some doors big time when it comes to, to this. Um, have you seen hate towards your community decline or is Islamophobia alive and well in Canada? What, how would you mark it over the past decade or so, your time in the, in the public eye uh, to, to today? Check my, check my Twitter mentions today and you will see exactly what I expected to have happen, <laughs> which is uh, after I spoke at the Senate yesterday, which is a whole bunch of people talking about how do I have any right to talk about this stuff? And I'm the racist. Of course, I'm the racist because I'm raising racial things, um, it happens every single day. And, you know, I thought things were getting a lot better. In about 2015, 2016, uh, things really changed. And I have to say, too, that this wasn't really accidental. You know, I appeared yesterday with an MP called Ikra Khalid. I don't know her, but some years ago in 2016, she put forth a very innocuous motion um, at uh, the House of Commons, non-binding motion. It just said the House of Commons condemns Islamophobia and all forms of religious bigotry. And this thing became hugely controversial, and she got tons of death threats, and you know she needed security and so on. And that didn't happen by accident. People just didn't decide to go after this backbench MP. That was stoked. And in some cases, it was stoked by politicians who saw a little bit of political gain by misinforming the public that this was about Sharia law in Canada. And, you know, even a thoughtful MP from Calgary who usually thinks about this stuff voted against it because she was worried about creeping Islamization, whatever that means. And, you know, these are the sorts of things that aren't accidental. But also, when you start this fire, it's very, very hard to put out. And, you know, when you have politicians now calling for calm it's like the arsonist calling for the fire department and i think people have to be responsible for the kinds of things they say so nahed do you think then you know bill 21 is this just another opportunity for for that ugliness to to bubble to the surface and and people to i don't know to to kind of jump on board with this kind of thing or is this just another example of of the fact that it is there and it has been there and it's still there and 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 you your community and all of us are still battling this kind of thing yeah a bit of both you know the interesting thing about this bill in quebec is you know it has its defenders it certainly does and a lot of folks say well this is because of the historic treatment of quebec people by the catholic church that there's this reaction that there should be no religion in the public square and I don't pretend to be a Quebecer. I don't pretend to understand all of that history. But I do know it's generally the rule that you can't use past discrimination to justify current discrimination. 
And I believe that we are stronger when we invite everyone to the public square. And it makes all of us stronger uh, in our own faiths and in our own abilities to work together. Um, but, you know, sometimes we're nervous to talk about this stuff. Certainly I was a little nervous to talk about it because I just didn't want to deal with all the replies and all the angry people. And I'm just not going to. I'll stay off social media for a couple of days. Um, but these are the sorts of things we do need to think about because they impact people in everyday life. And let's not forget that the majority of Canadians, when polled, actually support the sorts of things that are in that bill, in Bill 21, not just Quebecers, everyone across the country. And we've got to educate folks. We've got to get people more involved. The most interesting thing about the Quebec case is what caused the support for that bill to really plummet is when a woman actually got fired from a job as a teacher. Mm. And suddenly people said, oh, this is not hypothetical. This is actually affecting Mm -hmm. people's lives. And by all intents, by all uh, reports, this woman was an excellent teacher and she just got fired. And how do we feel about that? And I think that's where the conversation really has to happen at that human level. It's unfortunate someone had to lose their job for this to finally gain attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for shedding some light on the topic. Mr. Nancy, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, folks. Happy Valentine's Day, and thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Nahed Nenshi, a former Calgary mayor, as we all know. Uh, He's spending some time in Quebec. So, uh, you know, we'll update you on the situation because it continues to evolve, doesn't it? Last week's devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria tore apart families and shook the world. Turkish Calgarian Mohammed Ajmal Nixad has left his wife and young child in Calgary to return and search for family members in Karamanmaris, Turkey. And Mohammed joins us now to share his story. Good morning, Mohammed. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thanks for having me here. We're, we're so terribly sorry. I, I can only, I can't even actually imagine what it must be like for you. Uh, who are you looking for, and have you been able to find any of your missing family members? Uh, yeah, actually, since I heard that this happened, and they were, kind of, they were out of contact, I couldn't reach them, so I left Calgary. And I went to Istanbul, and from Istanbul to Vajanta, I've been by Kortika, Manmaraj, where the city, the earthquake started. And as soon as I got there, I just seen my sister's dead body out here, out there. And uh, I, could, I couldn't find the rest of the members of family. So I was on the streets with the dead body for for hours. No one was there to help you out. There's no help. Ambulances are just looking for people who are alive. And uh, it was a nightmare. It's a doomsday that I seen it with my eyes out there. And uh, I just finally, by feet, we took our sister somewhere to finish the paperwork for the graveyards and stuff like that. And after that, I just went to look for the rest of my member family. When I went to the building, but it was just closed. It just turned to the a pile of dust. And they said, you have two member of family alive. They came out of the building. So I was looking for the hospitals everywhere. At night, I finally found my brother. And his legs was cut off. They imputed uh, the legs, his right legs. And then I asked him that word, do you know about other member of family? And he said, yes. My one little sister, he said she was alive too. And I look everywhere, the whole hospital out there, I couldn't find her at all. And after after that, I, the next day, I, w- I went to put her in rest and in the graveyard and I was looking for my mom to find her where she is. 
And they said that she, they took her out, but she's not alive. She was dead. And I went to many, many, many dead bodies, like hundreds of dead bodies, opened them to look at from fine to my mom. And uh, I seen some stuff, I'm still in shock. I am still in shock. I seen bodies like, oh my gosh, you can't even look at them to find my mom. And finally I did find mom, found my mom. And put her in rest in graveyard. And after that, I went to hospital and I, I can't find my brother anymore. They say they took her to a different city, Ankara, which is the capital of Turkey. And um, I, I asked them to find my sister. They said, yeah, we found your sister. Your sister is in Kayseri, which is a different city. And I, I came out to Kayseri and I look at my sister. She's absolutely not in a good condition. Her her kidneys are failed. Her lungs is not working. Her left legs are imputed. They cut it off the left legs, and she's in terrible conditions. And right now I'm in Kayseri, taking care of her. And I cannot see her. I am only allowed to see her for five or ten minutes in 24 hours. And my brother is in different city, which is six hours away from me. And they cut off their both legs, and he needs help too. But I'm here, and I'm devastated. I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. And yeah, well, this I mean, is the story right now. What, what in a heartbreaking, a heart wrenching story. We appreciate you sharing it with us. Um, and I know you're doing what you can. So this is your opportunity because you are on the ground. You can see the resources that are. Uh, from what we're hearing from your voice and from other guests lacking, uh, what would you say to people who have the means to do so and, and, and send some money to help with the, with, with with this mission and, and rescue? Actually, they really need help. They are in a very, very poor conditions. They don't have houses. Their whole houses are gone. They need food. They need blankets. They need uh, tents. They need uh, all the first aids. They, they, it's, it's like like they have nothing left behind. Nothing. Mohammed, we're sending so much love your way and hoping that your family members do recover. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. We'll, we'll send people to donate.redcross.ca and get home safely. And thank you so much for sharing the story with us. I think it's important that we hear from people who are there and seeing exactly what's going on so that we understand the great need and help out if we can. Thank you so much, Mohammed. Yeah, no problem. Thank, thank you. you. Mohammed Ajmal Nikzad is a Turkish Calgarian who is in Turkey right now looking for his lost family members.